Here we go. Episode 11 of Life in Commune. We back. Are you ready? I am ready. This is an episode that I will have really zero to contribute in. <laughs> save, save Don't for, sell yourself short. Save for guiding the conversation. Yeah, I mean, you have Being knowledge the, and and you've gleaned things through me, but you have no have firsthand experience in this topic. And I can't get it. You can't get it because that is today is prenatal yoga. Prenatal yoga. More, more specifically, your experience of yoga during your pregnancy mm -hmm. and just how you've been feeling and all that jazz. So as we step into this, we are past your due date. We are. We are 40 weeks and I think four days, 40 weeks and five days. No, 40 weeks and four days. So we are past the due date or the, the guest date because really it's just, it's a it's guest a event. It's, it's random. Yeah, there's a million reasons why. Well, not a million, but there are reasons <laughs> why the dates that they give you could be wrong. Um, but I'm feeling good. And she seems to be hanging in there fine. The midwives aren't too concerned about anything. And so we've just been going about our usual routine and trying to visualize openness and calm. And she'll show up when she shows up. I like that. Just keep it open, keep it calm, keep it light, keep mm -hmm. it flowy. Keep it light and flowy. Light and flowy. So as we step into this a little bit, let's talk about your uh, summary of your journey so far. So just in terms of your practice more than anything mm -hmm. else. You found out you were pregnant in October. Mm -hmm. And kind of right after that, we whisked off to Australia. Yes. Yeah, we found out that we were pregnant um, on Halloween, actually. Technically, you are pregnant. We, uh, yeah, well, it is, well, it is my child <laughs> as well. We are having a baby, but however, I am the pregnant yeah, one. Yes. Yes. So, found out we were having a baby on Halloween, which was kind of hilarious because at the time, small departure, we were getting ready to go to a Halloween party, and I was dressing up as Drew Barrymore from Scream, so I was putting fake blood all over myself, and Patrick was going to be Post Malone. So you're doing my braids. Which meant I was cornrowing his hair when we were multitasking, took a pregnancy test, and holy hell, it actually worked. Lo and behold. Lo and behold. The, the, the science took place. The science worked. So that the, was the funny. The one in four billion odds. And that it was, happened. It, yeah. So it was a funny secret to have just to go to this party that night and like be, you know, running around having a good time being like, oh shit. All of a sudden. It, <laughs> just, it was sudden, a new perspective. It was. It was. As, I think it's actually a fun memory. I, I appreciate that timing. Yeah. Um, so yeah, right after we found out we were pregnant, um, the next stop really was we headed to Australia for about six weeks of teaching, mm -hmm. which meant that spent most of the first trimester. I mean, I was home for a couple weeks, but then most of the first trimester when things actually started to kick in, uh, we were abroad. We were abroad. We were abroad, which was lovely in the aspect that it was summer in Australia or just turning to summer. So weather was nice. We got lots of beach time much better than it being kind of winter, like end of fall in, in the States. In the States. Um, downside was we were really busy running teacher yeah. trainings and running modules and workshops, and I felt like garbage. <laughs> like literal dumpster fire trash every single day of the first trimester. There were plenty of not pretty moments. <sighs> there was, yeah. But I, w I would like to applaud your efforts <laughs> to practice and to show up every day, and mm -hmm. I mean that with complete seriousness. I know... We make a lot of lighthearted statements in this podcast in general um, and downplay quite a bit. Mm -hmm. But uh, your ability to keep it together during that time and to show up on the times you needed to show up <laughs> was uh, was amazing because the rest of the time, 
not pretty. It was not, it was <laughs> not, not pretty. pretty. It was, I am actually very thankful that we had so much going on that first trimester and that we were traveling and in a place that I love and I was comfortable in. Mm-hmm. We've spent so much time in Australia. We have a lot of wonderful students and community there, so it felt really safe. It wasn't foreign. We weren't, you know, backpacking around. So it was an easy place to be, which meant that even though I felt crappy, the surroundings kind of lifted my spirits all the time. And we have so many wonderful students there that even being in the midst of teacher training programs that are long and intense, I wanted to be a part of practice as much as I could. I wanted to be there, so it kept me going, even if my threshold was a little lower or I had to make a few, you know, sneaky trips to the bathroom to throw up. Um, it was hard. I would say the hardest part was just workshops and demoing things that um, even though I could totally physically do them, Mentally, there was so much fatigue there. It was hard to get through those ones. But I'm glad that I did. You just disappear into thin air. Yeah. Yeah, if you were at any of those workshops. And I would look around, and then you would not be there. would not be there. I distinctly remember a handstand workshop in Adelaide, Australia, um, and being upside down, and you just kept talking and talking. Subtle get back for all those times. And I was in this handstand like, okay. You have 10 seconds, 10 seconds, 10 seconds. You can make you do anything for 10 seconds, and then you can run to the bathroom. Anything for 10 <laughs> seconds. And I did. I did anything, and then I ran for the bathroom. But, yeah, it was hard. And um, I, despite it all, I'm very grateful that we were there and that we were busy because I got plenty of rest because, it, you know, our work is centered around self-care as well. So I got to practice, but I also got to sleep. There was no expectation that I have to go out to dinner or be out late or anything like that. Um, and it kept me going. Instead of, I, I think that if I would have been at home in a routine where maybe I was only teaching one class a day and had more free time or something like that, if I would have been more tempted to cut down my schedule and do less because I felt crappy instead of realize that there were things that were still going to make me feel good, which there was plenty of. Yeah, I mean, you had some some practice highs in Australia. I did. The press handstand came back. It did. It that just new, showed up miraculously. That new mama strength. Miraculously at 10 weeks, that, that press handstand was back. Not even trying for it. No, it just showed up again. One practice, it was there. It just had been a while. And then it was there for a while, and then, and then it, it left. And then it left. And then we let those go. Yeah. But uh, yeah, at the time, I, I had a good time, and it was empowering to practice through that stuff. Um, even if that practice was the only two hours of the day that I felt good, yeah. It was good to have two good hours instead of wallowing in the other 22 that were extra tough. <laughs> it was like, this is what I liken it to. It was like the hangover that you get when you've gone to a wedding and you didn't eat enough because it's a wedding and, you know, there's only so much food or you only have the portions of what they give you. And then you've had the champagne toast and you had some wine at the happy hour. And then maybe later in the night you had like a tequila shot, but basically not enough food and a bunch of different kinds of alcohol. That's the hangover that I felt like I had for eight straight weeks, ten straight weeks. And then two hours of glory every day. And then two hours of good of goodness, <laughs> and then back to that hangover. So I am happy to be past that first trimester, hard but empowering. Second trimester. Second trimester, I was full of energy, and my practice felt wonderful. It felt on point. I was modifying things um, based on how I felt and based on my own education and knowledge of scaling things back to prevent anything from getting too out of control. Um, but we were running two teacher trainings mostly during the second trimester. So you and I ran that 200 in LA Mm -hmm. in February. And then right afterwards we ran the rest of our 300 hour. So those two things kept me again, really active and integrated in a daily practice, especially a daily long form practice, which made it easy for me to keep showing up and didn't give me reasons um, or excuses to bail on practicing. 
Do you think it was nice for you that because we were so busy during the time, you essentially had to be super active and moving for let's say eight hours a day and then pretty much sleeping the other rest of the rest of the time or laying down just doing things you wanted to do yeah i think it was actually a really wonderful natural cadence yeah that it kept me active really i think even having a a quote-unquote regular nine-to-five job is hard because you have to sit there if you have a desk job or Mm -hmm. i think about my old corporate job having to sit for eight hours a day and then mustered up for even just one hour of movement seems like it would have been harder than running these programs where you're constantly stimulated because you're interacting with students and teaching and presenting information or practicing, that it kept me in my own body and out of my head. And it also kept me firmly as Carling, not Carling who's pregnant. Yeah. Which meant a lot to me to be able to just be Carling, especially in the second trimester where I felt really good and had tons of energy and my body was changing, but it wasn't so dramatic that I couldn't like find myself anymore. Do you think because you were moving so much that it was easy for your body to get used to the weight? Yes, I think so. I haven't because it was like a gradual process. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, and I didn't do a ton of prenatal yoga, like capital P prenatal yoga. Mm-hmm. I did. I have mostly done throughout this pregnancy. Besides my own prenatal practice, I've done yoga while pregnant. Mm-hmm. So I've done yoga while pregnant, largely in classes with you or public classes when we travel, and then my own practice is is the prenatal stuff. So. I think it made a big difference to just never quit, that my body just gradually got used to the new weight, the new distribution of weight. Because you've, you've had a very pain-free pregnancy from my observation. Yes. And it seems, obviously, this is my first one, but compared to many that I know or students that I've had or you know the general collective consensus on the internet, that... Pregnancy. The vocal majority or minority, vocal, yeah. whatever you that everyone that loves to, be. to talk about how much pregnancy sucks, yeah, and how hard it is. And I'm not to take that away from anyone who has had a sucky, hard pregnancy, um, but I it has been mostly joy filled and not and pretty pain free. I mean, certainly there's aches and pains and like, yeah, I've got 30 extra pounds on my front half, so obviously my low back's a little tired. But you've done that gain train. I mean, yeah, I I just chalk that up to the assumption also that. You know, if you're unable to use your core for nine months, yeah, your low back is going to be a little tired. So those are natural, logical things, and they never, they never got to me. I always, I felt pretty good in my body the whole time, um, with the exception of the first trimester nausea. Is there anything that you notice now in your body that is you're like, oh, that's a lot different? Third trimester has been. I think the first time that things got like really real. Yeah. I remember at 31 weeks or 32 weeks, it was like, oh, oh, this is the thing. Okay, this is different because there's so much more weight and the distribution has changed. And just being so much more cognizant of how you move or what habits you have, how you stand up, how you sit down, all of that stuff started to, like, for lack of a better term, weigh on me a little little bit more. Just things that you kind of take for granted. Just, you know, getting up from the couch, it's like, Oh, okay, instead of just standing up, I'm going to need a three-point turn to like get up from the couch and get up from the bed. Um, or demoing in class while teaching. Little things that I've never thought twice about doing all of a sudden were maybe starting to fail me a little bit in front of the class. Has that changed? Because you've been teaching during mm-hmm. this whole process. Has, that, has any of that, any of the way you felt in your body impacted the way you've been teaching? I tried not to let it impact it too much because... Yeah. There are certain things, like little stuff, even just 
me wondering, is it really hot in the studio or is it just me? Should I open the door? I bet they need air. But I will say look... temperature fluctuations has been <laughs> has been real for you. Yeah, I mean, I give Many you the, the eye across class. I'm like, could you open the door a little? Like, it's not hot. Yeah. Well, or just in general, like we're in the car and you're like, it is so, so hot. hot. <laughs> like, no, it's not. Yeah, That's so not I don't. Hot. I didn't trust my intuition on like, is this temperature okay for the class so yeah. much? So I tried not to let my own opinion impart that. Um, and I found you have that been teaching pretty rigorously. I, yeah, I feel like sometimes even almost despite not being able to demo things, sometimes you accidentally teach a little more difficult because I'm not in it with the students so much that it's easier to just keep yammering and, and realize, forget how long people have been holding something or something like that. So um, I would say I don't think my teaching intensity went down, but I certainly have adjusted the things I am teaching. When I would plan a class and it was coming to the point where, oh, I might need to demo this concept, realizing... Oh, I can't demo that concept. So how am I really going to teach it? I can teach it, but can I teach it as effectively as I would like? Maybe, maybe not. So certain things have dropped out of my teaching just because I would prefer to be able to teach it in a well-rounded manner. And if I don't have someone in my class that can help me demo it or be a part of it, then, you know, it's no big deal. There's plenty to focus on. Yeah. The teaching a class is always a, an ever-evolving process. I think anybody out there knows that. Um, and if you don't know that, believe it yeah honestly like teaching in class is an ever-evolving process and there's always different things you can focus on when you go through phases and you're teaching whether you're it's pregnancy or not right Mm -hmm. where it's like i like teaching this for a while and then i like teaching this for a while so i actually think because i stopped backbending early on in the second trimester because it just didn't feel good and i really early on i think almost the first trimester. end of the first i started to feel that tightness in my stomach and it just just remember in in when we were in byron bay Mm -hmm. you weren't interested in backbending at all anymore yeah it just didn't feel so good which is funny because it's part of the practice that has always felt so great to me it was one of my favorite parts of the asana practice and so at first it was sad to let it go but then because it didn't feel good it was just like okay well it's not like these postures are going anywhere i'll have these forever i can come back to them but something that i really believe in is this like pregnancy is 10 months but postpartum is forever Mm -hmm. so doing things during pregnancy that might impact my postpartum body more than it needs to be i just felt silly to hold on to things and it felt just full of ego to say i still i can still do this I still Even, have to do this today. I have to do this today. And it's like, why? I would rather be able to do it for the rest of my life later than do it today and have something that's much more difficult to recover And also do it well from. for the rest of yes. your life later. I think, True. Yeah, I think well. that's a huge learning in the yoga practice in general, just to, just to step off mm-hmm. topic for a bit. Oh, yeah. But the thought of I have to be able to do something because I do it every day mm-hmm. Um even if I'm tired or I'm affected by something else or I'm a little bit injured or a little bit sick or a little bit whatever, whatever. It, if you can begin to move past that need in your mind, mm-hmm. it you, it's such a freedom. Well, it's this just weird attachment and grasping at something that because I've done it before, I must be able to do it now, today. And I would catch myself in moments in classes or workshops where everyone else was doing dropbacks. And I was like, oh, I love dropbacks. Maybe yeah. I could. And it was like... No, I know you've been giving me the the I, uh, that that jealous eye. I, I, I do. I've been doing my dropbacks I, I every day. I miss it, and I and I like those things. But I just had to be honest with myself about I've done this training. I, I teach these concepts. I have to practice what I preach. And at the end of the day, could I still do dropbacks? Could I have done them the whole time? Probably. Could it have made a difference or not? Maybe. Maybe not. Who's to say? But I just felt like I don't need to make that choice for me. And ten months is not forever. And I I am not. It felt actually really empowering to step away and realize, oh, 
I don't have to be that attached to this physical outcome and feel good about it and to just take that pressure off. Speaking of practice what you preach, what would be your kind of number one practice what you preach moment? Because again, you are a trained doula. Mm -hmm. You've trained prenatal, postnatal yoga, Mm -hmm. right? What was the one thing where you like, I have to trust my own advice, advice that I've given to hundreds of women? Maybe even thousands of women. I, I, the biggest, that was probably one of them was yeah. to, to relinquish the attachment to what, what you've always done is what you need to do right now, mm-hmm. right? Just because you've done it before, you need to do it now. And that goes for anything, whether it's yoga or anywhere else that just because you used to run marathons doesn't mean you need to run a marathon while you're pregnant yes. or five weeks after you're pregnant. And it also doesn't take away from the fact that you run marathons. Mm-hmm. It doesn't make you any less of that thing you were before because you're choosing to take a moment away, just like you would for anything else. Yeah. Um, that and... And then I think really it was just to trust my knowledge and trust the background because here I am giving women this same advice, saying the same things in my classes or touting the same adages, but then when it's in your body, it's much harder to implement. So like knowing something intellectually, but implementing it emotionally was more challenging than I expected. I didn't expect to have to remind myself of the same things that I thought I just knew intuitively. Yeah, it is funny. I noticed that moment, those like little moments of doubt that you kind of had mm-hmm. with yourself, especially it was really funny to me because I've seen it work so well for people that you've worked with. Mm-hmm. And then in those moments, you were like, wait a second. Mm-hmm. Is it going to work for me? Well, and and honestly, the danger of the Internet. Yeah. Because even oh though you, like, I know something, I've done the training, I've, I've worked with women in this, but I've never felt it you in my own. You have that firsthand experience. Yeah, but, it, but it's not really firsthand until it's in your body, I think. Mm-hmm. But it's either way can be deceiving. It's deceiving if you've only felt it in your body, and it's deceiving if you've only seen it in others. So having both now, I, I feel like I have a much more well-rounded understanding of which modifications, which adjustments actually worked for me versus stuff that I've told people to do. And I'm like, no, this is not <laughs> helpful. Don't drop that one off. Um, but the internet is dangerous. You second guess something and then, you know, you, you run to old Google or one of 10 trillion pregnancy apps and all of a sudden it's like, oh, well, this is going on today. So I should probably be careful of X, Y, and Z. And it's like, everything was fine. And then you have those moments of oh, wait, I know what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. Like, I just remember we were in, whether it was a midwife appointment or maybe just a general doctor appointment, mm-hmm. and they told you you shouldn't squat. Oh, like, yes. like, like not weighted squats, like literally just squat. squat. And you're like, nah. Like, yeah, that's and you're like, advice. oh, okay. And, and so this is, this, these are some of the people, though, who are putting a lot of that information out mm-hmm. on Google, and it's very conservative. And... Um, b- and maybe conservative for good reasons. Certainly. You know what I'm well saying? Intentioned. I'm not, I'm not well intentioned. I'm not trying to knock any what yeah. anyone's doing, but you know, like squ- for one, squatting is a great position. It's a great, important and, position when you're pregnant. And at some point in your pregnancy, I mean, true or false, you're gonna have you're gonna use your core a bit. Oh right? yes, I remember this. This was one of our the first appointments yeah. when uh, I found out I was pregnant, and it was with a you know the general nurse practitioner. Yeah, I was a nurse practitioner. And She's like, what kind of workouts are you doing still? So I kind of give her a rundown and I say, I'm still doing some strength training. And she's yeah. like, well, what is, gives me that eye? Like, what do you mean? Mm-hmm. I'm like, well, some squatting. And she's like, you shouldn't be squatting at all. You shouldn't even be using your core at all. Yeah. And in my head, I'm like, you know, nodding and being polite, knowing this is not my doctor. This is not, this is just a nurse practitioner doing what she doing thinks is job. right. But 
I shouldn't squat ever, so should I never get up and down off the couch? Should I never stand up? You sit down, like, you stay. And I forget that many people don't sit on the ground. I sit on the ground all the time. I'm sitting on the ground right now in a squat position. Yeah. <laughs> but that never squatting is one crazy talk when that's also a very traditional position to labor in and yeah. to, uh, to just be as a woman. It's important for the structure of your pelvis and the amount of opening that's going on. And to never use your core, certainly there's reason not to use your RA, your rectus, abdominis, but there's no reason to never use your core because that would mean I shouldn't ever focus on my pelvic floor or my TBA. It's, that's crazy talk when you're trying to carry a human being in your midsection. So it, it's it's all that advice that it's hard to take with a grain of salt and then to wonder if you're doing something wrong because you're bombarded with so much information when you're pregnant with right and wrong and should and shouldn't and everything is like the everything feels dire everything this is what i remember penny simpkin saying in my doula training everything becomes the dead baby argument which is dramatic i know but it's like if you do this your baby could die if you do this your baby could die and it's like me doing some squats the baby's fine like it's fine and, and so the, that's always the argument. It feels like a life or death situation. And certainly there are instances where it is, but certainly there are plenty of instances where it's not. And so reminding myself that I don't know all the answers, but I, I do know some of them and to trust that instead of getting wrapped up in all the hubbub that comes from a million different sources when you're pregnant. Do you think practicing while pregnant has made you become a more compassionate teacher? Absolutely. I think so. I think I, I, there are so many things that, like I said, that I thought were the right choice or I thought would be helpful that when I really implemented every single day into my practice, it wasn't that they were unhelpful, but it was, there was a better way. Are there any of those things you can think of off the top of your head? Well, I think a big part of it is realizing that one, the awakening yoga style is very friendly to being pregnant, which is part of why we developed, if, if you've practiced awakening yoga with us. Not only pregnant, just bigger. Bigger, this, part of why we developed it was so it was accessible to more bodies, meaning we're stepping wide, there's a lot of active squat, there's very little of this big toes together, feet at the midline. Everything is about stability and grounding. And so all of those concepts, being able to actually implement them and put them in my body, even though logically and intellectually we developed them that way, it was, um, refreshing and <laughs> confidence boosting to feel it in my body and think, oh, this really, really works, right? I've seen it in students, but to actually feel this is a better place for my feet to be. I feel stable. I feel strong. I can still do sun salutations. I can still do this quote unquote vigorous vinyasa practice and not even really have to modify that much because the practice just works for this body. And so that felt good. It also reminds me that like as teachers, we just have no excuse to not offer options for other body types because it's easy to do. Right. If we can offer it for pregnant women who have big bellies, we can offer it for non-pregnant people who have big bellies. So all of our language around like this narrowness and the feet and the stance, it doesn't have to be like that. And it's not that hard to adjust it. If we can adjust it for pregnant practitioners, we can adjust it for everyone. And so that was empowering to do those practices and still feel like, oh, I'm just in the flow of things. I'm not this pregnant person out here just trying to make it work. I was in the mix of class and not ever feeling excluded. Yeah. I think it's it's a cool way to begin to understand like different body types. I, th- mm-hmm. I think it's so interesting, right? Because like my body changes so minimally. Yeah. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like like it's kind of the same, really, in and out, no matter what. Yeah. And for you to go from a normal set person mm-hmm. to through this pregnancy being a heavy set person. Yeah. 
right? That you have this new level of knowledge that's firsthand experience. And of course, it's your firsthand mm-hmm. experience, but before this time, you could never have related in this way. No, not directly. And even just, I mean, pregnancy is one of those things all the talk about your pregnancy body and this, that, and the other. I mean, I've gained about 40 pounds in this pregnancy, and I feel just as strong and good and worthy of being in class as I did before. I mean, you've been crushing it. Um, and it's not you got, to say... You got, you got the, the, the ovation from the students uh, <laughs> last Saturday when you did your handstand. On the 40-week on the mark? Yeah. Yeah, felt, I think the gradual adjustment to the new weight made difference, made a big difference, but also just being reminded that you can absolutely still be in the mix no matter where you are along the spectrum if the practice is made accessible for you or if you have the experience to make it accessible for yourself. So for me, that meant adding a lot of props, Mm -hmm. right? So obviously stepping to the top of the mat became a bit of a challenge because there was a human being in the way. So making sure I always had blocks with me at practice on any kind of height, stepping wide a majority of time and then adjusting feet or taking sun salutations from the top of the mat and stepping back into things instead of from downward facing dog. Even just little adjustments like that that aren't a, a big, they're not cutting things out of your practice, they're just making it work for you now, has gone a long way to make me feel like I'm still me practicing, not just pregnant me practicing. I agree. I think it's it's interesting when you begin to eat your own. So speaking of you practicing versus you while pregnant practicing, let's step into a really big thing that you've been working on recently, mm-hmm. um, which is all of this stuff around prenatal yoga uh, and yoga while pregnant. So what do you feel are like the two big different, or the two, how are you separating those things? I was yeah. terrible, <laughs> terrible setup. I know where you're going. Yeah, I was trying to uh, get there. It just wasn't coming clear. Yeah, I think that there is a difference. There is a big difference between capital P prenatal yoga and doing yoga while pregnant. So so let's even take take one step back. So again, we have these two categories. Mm-hmm. What would you say of of prenatal students or students that are practicing pregnant, how are they coming into the practice, right? So we obviously have friends mm-hmm. that have been pregnant before you mm-hmm. that maybe did some of their first yoga classes while being pregnant, yeah. right? Because their doctor said, hey, go do some yoga. Mm-hmm. And then they got with a couple of buddies that were also pregnant and practiced some yoga. Mm-hmm. And then maybe there's people that are like a little bit experienced and they get pregnant and then they start practicing mm-hmm. or then they, they want to like figure out what to do, right? Essentially, I'm trying to say there's kind of like three categories of yeah. people. Do you, is that, do you believe that that's true? That the last category would be a very experienced yogi like yourself yes. who's also Yeah, pregnant. I think there are different categories and I think it's important to distinguish what kind of yoga we're telling women to do when they're pregnant, right? Yes. So a lot of times a provider, whether it's an OB or a midwife or a doula or anyone will say, <clears throat> excuse me, will tell their, their client to go do some yoga. And so I think sometimes that gets misconstrued as like, oh, I'll just go to a yoga class. But mm-hmm. if you've never done yoga before, and this is kind of a general rule for anything during pregnancy, is that it's just not the time to start something new, right? So if you've never stepped onto a yoga mat before, then just go to yoga doesn't mean go to a vinyasa class, right? Just if, if your doctor says go to yoga and you've never done it before, that means go to a prenatal class, right? And a prenatal class is much more targeted. It, they tend to be more... Um, even keel in nature, they're focused on very specific breathing or meditative techniques, asana, that is centered around connection with 
you, with yourself, with baby, um, things that are deliberately going to prepare you for labor and asana that are really targeted for what you're doing. And so there's not much of an expectation that there is experience at a prenatal yoga class. I don't expect students to have a ton of yoga experience. I also don't expect them to have none, Yeah. but it's a welcoming environment for all levels. But the focus is really is on for at least for me when I think of it, is on connection between baby and mom or birthing person and this idea of preparation for what's to come. And it's very specific and targeted. As opposed to yoga while pregnant, I think is an important distinction to make for experienced practitioners that want to maintain their practice. Because just because you've practiced yoga and now you're pregnant doesn't mean, oh, well, now I can only do prenatal yoga. And I think that some women resist that and then they resist modifications when really there's a perfectly happy middle place where you can continue to do your practice, but there are modifications that should be a part of that experience to make things feel better for you, for baby, and for postpartum. For you, what was the number one or number two, like a few like prime examples of modifications that you were making most every practice? Like just recommendations that people yeah. could just add in that would be like an easy win. Yeah, if you're someone who's already an experienced practitioner and you're pregnant and you're trying to figure out how to modify and keep things moving, my first number one tip is props. Props all day. Which ones? So always two blocks. So I started adding two blocks under my hands from... I don't know, probably from the very beginning that I started to feel discomfort, like you lose that spinal flexion. I around the to... second trimester. Yeah. I, say... I remember it a lot in February, mm-hmm. but I don't remember it a lot in Australia. Yeah. I, no, it wasn't. First trimester was fine because there's not much really in the way. Even though you feel like you're showing and you feel like there's a lot in the way, <laughs> in, yeah, it's, it's nothing. Just wait. Um, you're mostly just bloated too. Yeah. Like there's a lot happening and your pants don't fit, but in the grand scheme, there's not that much happening um, on the outside at least. And so, yeah, I would say in the second trimester, I, every practice was two blocks under my hands, which felt great. To be honest, it feels great when you're not pregnant because you have lots of space. feels great for a, a million different kinds of practitioners or many different reasons. But particularly in that two blocks always, um, keep a bolster next to my mat as well. That way, if I want to do any prone belly down postures, if I want to do sphinx or little bits of back bends or shoulder opening, you can slide a bolster right underneath your thighs and then there's no pressure on your belly. You can lay flat. You can even have two bolsters, one under your thighs, one under your chest. Um, another time you can slip it in anytime in child's pose or trying to come to a seat. And it just makes things easier, brings the ground up to you. And so then you have that little, like you were laying in the sand and you kind of buried a hole out, or dug a hole out for your belly. You get that sensation. <laughs> so two blocks and a bolster, honestly, every single practice. And it just made me not even have to think twice. You don't have to get up and down and get props and do stuff and there's no attention drawn to you. It's just, this is what I practice with. And that made a big difference. So for all you mamas out there, Mm -hmm. make sure at least get the two blocks. Yeah, bare minimum. It makes a world of difference. Mm -hmm. Uh, And if the studio you practice at doesn't have blocks, they're $8 on Amazon. It's totally worth investing. It's worth, and it will just make things feel seamless. And it'll feel good still. You'll want to move in your practice as opposed to feeling like, how am I going to get there? Getting stuck, that frustration that doesn't crop up once you give yourself space. So you said backbends have felt kind of meh. Mm -hmm. What has felt like, yes, that is the jam. Like I could be doing that one all day. Well, okay, so so my second tip on there too is to find the things that still feel good. Yeah. Because not everything is going to feel good. Inevitably things are changing and that's like, you know, in life Mm -hmm. and, and in your practice. But certain postures, certain things are just eventually going to feel less good. 
right? There are quote unquote prenatal rules about not doing deep twists and things like that. But at the end of the day, you're also not going to want to or be able to do that at a certain yeah. point. Like you're not, you're just not going to have a choice at a certain point. You're not going to be able to do revolved chair and that's cool. So if you can just let that go and find a modification, like I have favorite things I do instead, then you don't think twice about it. It's not like everyone's, it's a twisting class. It's like, oh, I just do this when that happens and it still feels good. Um, so backbends, I let them go early, even though at first it was hard on my ego, then it felt empowering to just like, well, just do something else. And you can still do bridge and you're still strengthening your glutes and your outer hips and things like that. You're just not going into that big place that can sometimes be um, so addicting in, in the backbend practice. So letting that go um, and finding what felt good, which what still did feel good, which was surprising, was inversions. I know you've been, you've been a handstand and forearm balance monster. Yeah. I mean, one. And, and by that, I mean like three a day. So, yeah, so, right? so, so, yeah, so no. don't, but please yeah, don't, nothing. please don't assume like Carly is out here crushing. I'm not doing like, crazy like hand balance uh, practices and training sessions. No. Um, but keeping them in my practice. For those of you that are concerned out there. Which I know that we're putting right. anything Be out there. We appreciate the I concern. appreciate that. Um, appreciate the love. But as, again, a seasoned practitioner, especially in those postures, it, one, helped me maintain that mental sense of self. Again, like it, I wasn't losing all of the things that I loved. Mm-hmm. Um, so that helped a lot because it still helped me remember that I'm strong, that I'm capable, that I can do hard stuff, even though I'm a mom now. And so those felt good. And also because they actually require very minimal like mobility in the grand scheme, right? Yeah. Can you You're put your hands down. over your head? Great. You can still handstand. And especially something you could still do at the wall if you were already doing it. Um, for me, it felt strong and totally safe and fine to do both in the middle of the room. Did you ever, because people always ask me this and I've been saying, oh yeah, it helps her all the time. <laughs> I've just been kind of, you know, it's been like my BS answer to just like skate through mm-hmm. a conversation where I don't have don't an answer because <laughs> we don't, like this is not something we discuss. Yeah. Can, do you feel less pressure on your pelvis with a baby when you're in an inversion? So this is something that I have said many times as a teacher that like inversions are great. It relieves the pressure on your pelvis. I don't feel that. You don't feel I, that. I don't feel that. I mean, like, especially now in the third trimester, like, she's been kind of locked in, head down for a while, so it's about the same. Yeah. And it's not like I'm holding a forearm balance for three minutes. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's not It's not a long Iyengar inversion, so I might be up there for 30 seconds, but I'm, I'm not, not enough to a place where I'm cognizant that, like, oh, it feels good. Things that did feel good that were inversions is just, like, dolphin. Dolphin feels good because it's strong. I'm not thinking about balance or anything like that. And you can, I can kind of sense it, but more than anything, an inversion with an adjustment, yeah. like where someone squeezes on your hips or pulls the thighs back, things like that feels like relief. But just the inversion on their own, I have to admit my own falsehoods. Of, I've said that to people like, oh, it'll feel so good. But yeah, because I've been like, people are like, oh, does she like to do the handstand yeah. because it really moves the baby off the pelvis? I'm like, yeah. No, I mean, I'm yeah. mostly doing the handstands for me. Yeah. Like, I'm not like, I honestly, I'm not doing it for that relief. I'm doing it because I, I know I can still do them. I'm strong and it makes me feel good about myself yeah, to still do it. And, it feel, and they feel joy and they feel safe. I don't yeah. ever think twice. I don't think twice about it. It's not something I worry about. And I, I wouldn't do it if I didn't feel safe doing yeah. it. So it's it's totally for me and I'm happy to admit that. Yeah, for all of you that have been in class, you know, I just yell at her all day, Carmen Harps. <laughs> I was a proud, proud papa when I got All day. There. It's yeah. cool to see. It's, it's also funny to see too because it's, 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 it's just a weird. Um, it's a it's an interesting visual. I don't want to say weird because I, I think that that kind of has a bad connotation. But just it's an interesting visual to see you because we tried to take a picture the other day. Of, <laughs> uh, both of us had handstand together, 
Um, it was we, too we, hilarious. It's too hilarious post. to even post. <laughs> it it didn't end up getting seen the light of day. For Let's that just reason. say you know that that visual you get when you're in shoulder stand and you look up at your stomach and your boobs and stuff and you're like, man, so glad I wore a crop top today. <laughs> like, like it's it was kind of like that. Like, wow, yeah, okay, like I feel 10. I feel good in this handstand, but gravity is really t- like yeah. I should feel weight off my pelvis based yeah. on on what it looks on the visual. Like, on the visual of, yeah. Um, yeah, it was hilarious. Did, uh, so backbends have always been a big part of your practice, something that you've loved the whole time and you had to let them go pretty early Mm -hmm. into the journey and it felt like that was the right thing for you to do because you actually had to let go of something that was so important to you. Do you think that helped you stay more relaxed and low key kind of about your around your expectations towards other things for the pregnancy? Yeah, I do think so. I think because my practice evolved into something, well, my practice has for a long time been a low pressure environment. Mm -hmm. You know, I've never been super attached, attached to the physical, even though I really enjoy it. Mm -hmm. Um, I've always been okay with taking time off or or reminding myself that restorative is just as important as vigorous and things like that. I've always felt good about that. But I do think that letting that go has given me more license to give myself permission, permission to give myself a break, right? When it meant, you know, I am tired today and I want to practice, but I can only practice for 45 minutes. That's how much I have in me. And instead of the mindset, which a a previous version of Carling might have had, which was, if I'm not going to do the whole thing, why do any of it? It's like, I've talked about this, but it's like, you know, yeah, it's the why bother or like, I already ate one donut, I'll just eat the whole box. It's like, it's that kind of mentality. (laughs) I've never eaten a full box of donuts. (laughs) But it's that mentality that I've had in a past life in college and eating disorder things where it's like, well, I've come this far, like, fuck it. Mm -hmm. And so, or on the other end of the spectrum, it's like, well, this day is crappy. I'm just going to go to sleep and start again tomorrow, which is another previous life. That is definitely a Carlingism. It is a Carlingism. That has been going away of recent, Mm -hmm. even before the pregnancy. It's something that, um, it's something I've been working on for years. But and it's, it's getting much better. Whereas really I used to be. just like, I can't do this. I can't deal, tune out, and just hope it gets better the next day. <clears throat> um, and so I think it reminded me that it was okay to do what I can. Yeah. And to be really proud and happy about what I'm doing. That I want to go to this 60-minute class or I want to do a full-hour practice. I just don't have it in me. So I'm going to do 40 minutes and I'm going to feel perfectly good about that. Or I'm going to go and I'm going to move and I do what I can. And then I'm going to like lay down for another 20 minutes afterwards. Or I'm going to take a nap and that is fine and I should be, I should be taking naps. But it can be hard to allow yourself to do that when you're used to a mindset of more. The more is better. If you had one tip for each of our like little groupings of people, women that enter mm-hmm. um, prenatal yoga or mm-hmm. just yoga while pregnant, um, what would your tip be? So like someone that's brand new, mm-hmm. hasn't done much yoga, does some prenatal with her friends and mm-hmm. the doctor's right, because doctor recommendation or whatever, yeah. like what would your tip for them be? I think for a woman who is brand new to yoga and pregnant and looking to try prenatal yoga, I think one of the best things you can do is to first ask your provider, your midwife, your doula, your friends, where they've gone for practice, if they have any teachers that they really love. Mm -hmm. Because going to yoga, first and foremost, can be intimidating, especially if you're new, like pregnant or not. It can be kind of a weird, intimidating environment. 
And prenatal yoga can be a little woo-woo, depending on on the teacher and the environment. And I don't say woo-woo in a negative way. I just say woo-woo in the sense that it's about connection and it is about tuning into yourself. So if you don't really know what you're walking into, it can feel a little like, what am I doing here? Is this really, am I doing anything besides just sitting and breathing and kumbayaing with a bunch of women? Which, not to poo-poo on kumbayaing with women, that's very important and that's a big part of it, but it's just understanding what you're getting into. So finding a recommendation from people that you trust um, for teachers that might resonate with you, I think makes a big difference. And then just showing up because there's no expectation that you are a yoga practitioner. It's just that you're there to spend time with yourself and spend time with your baby. What about somebody that is, uh, you know, somewhat experienced in the yoga practice, gets pregnant, now what do they do in class? Yeah, I think first and foremost is, I, I do think going to a teacher who has experience teaching prenatal yoga, and you don't have to go to their prenatal classes, but finding a teacher who has taught prenatal yoga and then going to their regular classes, if that's what you're used to, is a great place to start. Because then you have a teacher who you can trust to tell them. Because sometimes as a teacher, you might be the first person that knows that someone's pregnant, right? They might tell you before they've told their family members because they want you to know in case there's modifications. So finding a teacher that you trust to give you options or to tell you these things, like grab two blocks, it'll make your life easier. Grab a bolster, here's the cooler part of the room if you're feeling really hot, (laughs) go by the door. Um, Someone that you trust and feel comfortable with so that you can enter back into your yoga practice feeling confident without having to worry if you're doing something wrong or, you know, you can start to trust your intuition and and let the teacher guide you a little bit. What about somebody that's very experienced, somebody like yourself? I think the first thing you have to do is check your ego. Yeah. Honestly, the first thing, because it's hard, because I I think that if you're a very experienced yogi, especially a, a teacher as well, so much of your identity is wrapped up in being a yoga practitioner especially if you're a daily yoga practitioner or, or an ashtangi that has a regimen that happens all the time, that this is the first lesson in uh, blowing up your routine. Yeah. That, that it's just not going to be the same anymore. It's getting you ready for that baby it to is, come it's out. Like, it is humbling of like, okay, the things you, you thought you could do, it's not that you can't do them, but you have to make a decision. Do you need to? Or should you? Yeah. Should, shouldn't. I, I think do you need to is actually a bit of a better way to put it though because it's, it's, yeah. it's allowing the student, the ownership. And that's what I think. I think should or shouldn't, like what is Jen Pasteloff says, don't should all over yourself. Yeah. Or should is an asshole. I mean, but same things. It gets in your head a little bit. This, I shouldn't do this. I'm going to hurt my baby. I'm going to give myself diastasis. I'm going to cause problems. And all those things are certainly there are concerns, but should, I think, is, is guilt inducing. Whereas do I need this? It's just a choice. Like, do I need to do wheel right now? No, I don't need to do wheel. And I can not do wheel for seven months. And then, you know, when it feels right again and I feel strong and safe enough, then I'll do wheel again. And that's it. It's an impermanence and a non-attachment thing that I think as a seasoned practitioner, it is the hardest but also the most empowering part that takes you deeper into the practice. That just being the one who's in charge of everything. Because it's you. Do you. Do you really need to? And sometimes the answer is yes. And sometimes the answer is no. I really like that because it takes the ownership into the hands of the student mm-hmm. a lot more. I You see it all the time on the internet, and especially if you're in the Instagram yoga world, there's 8 billion people telling you how you should, should. practice or what yoga should mean to you. Or the, or the picture with the X and the picture with the check mark. Yeah. Bad. Good. Good. And it's like, well, that's so much more complicated and nuanced than you ever need to think about. Mm-hmm. Or, I mean, it is important to think about if you're interested in that. but. Yeah. 
so much of this is choice. So yep. much of this is preference. So much of this is like really what you want it to be. Mm-hmm. And again, like like we can dive into the anatomical, technical side of any of this Certainly. stuff. But in reality, it's all, everything is choice and preference. I guess it's one of the things that we talk about quite a bit. Um, in our trainings is there's your natural tendency the way you're going to do anything right Mm -hmm. then there's your trained side which is what you've been taught to do and then in between those places is your preference yes and choices you make the the choices you make and i think it's actually one of the most beautiful things of watching your practice over the course of this pregnancy is watching you take your preferred path yeah and, and finding out what your preferred path is. Which has been interesting for me, too, to find out. Because I don't think I knew yeah. until I had to make the choice. Exactly. Right? Like, with I get asked a lot, why aren't you backbending anymore? Or is it safe? Or I backbended my whole pregnancy and I'm fine and yada yada. And it's not to take away and say that it is or isn't. It's just I knew through my own education and experience that the amount of intra-abdominal pressure that baby is going to be putting there and with the, all of the connective tissue... It, it just became a, I don't need this right now, and it's going to be okay. And so I had to step back and say, okay, my education says one thing. My emotions say one thing. But what does my intuition really say? Mm-hmm. And that was a big learning point for me of, well, my intuition says I'm fine. Yeah. And I'll be fine to not do this. Mm-hmm. And that felt really, really empowering. And that kind of like felt like the ultimate, oh, like this is advanced practice too. Yeah. <laughs> like I, I, I get to choose. Um, and the choice could be different every day like yeah. any day I could have chosen like you know what screw it mm-hmm. I'm gonna do it um, or any day I could have said screw it I'm not gonna practice anymore because everyone's body is different but it was very empowering to go through the process of inquiring into myself what do I really think is right and then what am I gonna do about it am I gonna actually listen to that feeling it's just like finding the ways to tap into what you're doing and where you want to be yes and absolutely just- and just allowing, right? Just allowing, allowing. yourself to have mm-hmm. good physical days, allowing yourself to have kind of meh physical days, right? Yeah, and just, it is the same thing of, okay, I could push through and go do this thing today. I mean, I, I took spin classes through my, up, up until early third trimester when I started to feel like getting up and down out of the saddle and spin class was just not necessary for my pelvic floor. Um, but on days when I wanted to go. Yeah, I remember that day, the day that you went to a spin class and you're like getting up and down. I just sat the whole time. Yeah. You're like, that is the end of my spin that journey. That is the end of my spin journey. And I had a great last class and I was excited to be there and I thought, I'm good. Yeah. You know, I just like, okay, I don't think popping up and down and... and uh, Who was supposed to be in that class too? Because we were in LA and you, somebody, oh, Oscar De La Hoya. Oh, Oscar was... De La Hoya. Yes, my instructor, she said she was so nervous to teach. I was taking these soul activate classes, which is like high intensity interval training in a spin environment, which I think is much more useful than your typical, say, soul cycle class, um, because you're actually measuring heart rate and paying attention to what's going on. Um, but there was a section in the middle, she always kind of does this shadow boxing era thing, and Oscar De La Hoya was signed into class, <laughs> and he didn't show, and he was supposed to be on the bike in front of me. And she, she's like, I am so glad that he didn't come, because I didn't sleep last night, because I was terrified. <laughs> As you should be. As you should be. Yeah, and I took one or two more classes when we got up to Seattle, and I enjoyed them. But I remember taking a class at Burn Cycle with Jen Bunn and and enjoying the class, thinking it was fun and thinking, oh, shit, this is getting hard. And then just realizing that popping up and down out of the saddle, I didn't. it didn't feel bad, but I didn't think it was going to feel good much longer. 
And so I just let it go. And I think that would have been something that might have been harder for old Carling, but it felt totally fine to just say, oh, this is not for me right now, and just move on and say, you know what is for me right now? Naps. like <laughs> Puppy cuddles. <laughs> puppy cuddles and, and just sticking to yoga. So once I let that go too, I spent most of the time kind of switching between strength training and, and then a consistent daily practice, and I've been just doing yoga and, for the last... And just to clear it up, by strength training, you mean... What? Oh, I mean like work with resistance bands and yeah, doing like, some very target. I don't mean like, you know, deadlifting or anything weights. like that. No, I don't mean like Olympic lifting. Just, I mean... Just, you got to be clear for I the know. people of the internet. Yes. You can't, you can't you know, leave these things to assumptions. No, I mean like my own routine with maybe with kettlebells and with resistance bands and making sure that, you know, the hip stability and all those things are still in play. But for the last, you know, nearly uh, 10 weeks, nine weeks, it's just been yoga and it's felt awesome. Yoga and naps. Are you ready for my last question? I'm ready. What's the last question? When are you bringing her out? Oh, when is she showing <laughs> when, up? When is she showing up? <laughs> when, are you, when are you gonna go from pregnant to no longer pregnant? To no longer pregnant. You know, I, I, I does this weekend feel right? I does... feel like Friday, Saturday feels Friday, right. Friday, Saturday feels right. Yes, today we're recording this on a Wednesday. I feel like Friday, Saturday seems right because you know today doesn't feel like anything's happening tomorrow i think we're gonna start you know trying some of the things to kind of get things moving along i'm gonna break out the yoga ball get some bouncing on maybe hop back on the stairmaster a little bit and just get some movement going get that pelvis moving get that pelvis moving um mostly because i just am excited to meet her yeah so like at this point i'm like get out here let's talk (laughs) (laughs) so it's, it's time for for her to be a guest on the podcast Hopefully not a crying guest. A, a quiet, a peaceful, quiet, peaceful, happy, zen guest. Yes, a zen. Yes, I'm sure every parent out there is laughing hysterically <laughs> at that at that expectation. You keep laughing, and we will uh, stay hopeful for our dream child. Special <laughs> With that being said, you guys, hope you enjoyed this episode of Life in Commune. As always, we hope to catch you in person if you're in the Seattle area at our space, Commune Yoga, in the Wallingford neighborhood, or in one of our travel destinations. We will have the 2020 travel teaching schedule up very soon. We're excited to share all of that with you guys, and we hope to catch you in Europe in uh, September, October. Or uh, Bali is pretty much full. I think there's like one... There's one off-site space One off-site left. space left available. So uh, come join us if you're interested. And realistically, the next episode of Life in Commune is going to come out on Monday. So if baby's coming Friday, Saturday... We'll make... It could be a quick episode. It could be a quick me, episode. Me just saying, we made it through. The baby is here. <laughs> but we're staying true to our uh, two episodes a week, mm-hmm. no matter what. So we will... Uh, we'll talk then. We'll chat with you all soon. Have an amazing day. Peace. Peace.